All right, welcome back to Providence POV. It's Joe Howie and Peter DiBiase. It's Monday, December 18th, and tomorrow the Friars will kick off Big East play, hosting the sixth-ranked Marquette Golden Eagles. First, we're going to talk about Providence's victory over Sacred Heart from this past Saturday. But most importantly, Peter, how you doing? How was your weekend? Weekend was good. Weekend was good. Uh, got a little golf in. Weather, probably the night, last nice weekend of weather if, if you live in the northeast like joe and i do so that was nice uh province sacred heart gave gave me a little bit of a little bit of a scare but i guess it turned out uh okay they win by 14 but i am very excited obviously after we talk a little bit about sacred heart but i'm very excited to get into obviously talking about biggie's play but just get into biggie's play not just for providence but for the rest of the teams in conference yeah Totally. I mean, this is the, this is really like ever since the conference expanded and UConn joined and conference play started now, this is really like a, a an amazing time of year. You've got Christmas right on the horizon. It's the holidays. Yeah. People are, are, you know, having a couple of days off from work. Conference play is coming. It's a lot of fun. No, 100% agree. All right. Let's get into it. First and foremost, Saturday, uh, in what was supposed to be a, uh, uh, not in my opinion, Providence should have blown out Sacred Heart. Um, instead, they beat them by 14. I'm okay with that. Uh, like I said, I'll take a, an ugly win over a pretty loss any day of the week. Um, but the way in which uh, we won is why I'm okay with this. Providence won on a, I think it was a 20 to 9 run over the final couple of minutes of the second half there to really secure uh, and cushion their lead to pull away from Sacred Heart. Um, but credit Sacred Heart, man, they, they were, they were scrappy. They were tough. They made a lot of, uh, a lot of good baskets, uh, especially in the first half, but uh, Providence was the better team. And I think not having uh, Corey Floyd and Devin Carter uh, definitely played into the way that the team played holistically, but um, all in all, there was good. There was bad. There was ugly. Uh, Peter, what'd you think? No, I agree. And I love college sports, college football, college basketball in general. But the funniest thing for me sometimes is like the injuries. Like I'm not saying injuries are funny in general, but when you no, find no. out about an injury, it's it's just it's hilarious. Because in the NFL or like in the NBA or in MLB, like in the NFL, everything's mapped out for you. You know exactly who's practicing, if they're limited or not, what they're dealing with, like Everything they do, it's like kind of almost weird to a point how much you know what's going on with their injury. In college sports, the school doesn't owe you anything. So right, they can kind of withhold that information, rightfully so. So when we found out, I don't know, what was like an hour before tip-off? Or maybe Honestly, probably later, less. 20 minutes, I want to say. I think I was still out in the golf course. I think my dad texted me. It was like 108 or something like that, uh, if I remember. But not having Devin Carter – and not having Coy Floyd, right? Like that's kind of a gut punch. And it could have been one of those reasons, one of those uh, sit out games where Kim English didn't want to push it, right? Because he knows what's on the horizon on Tuesday, on Saturday. Right. And then right and down the stretch, obviously just in Biggie's play. And he was like, we probably can get away with it. And we did get away with it. But we did. it puts an added stress. And you, pro you took out probably your best player who has played the best of the season, which was Devin Carter. And you kind of saw... That offensive lull in the first half, they were up by one at, at half. Like, they, the, the guard play wasn't great. You texted me, I think, in the first half, Joe. I don't know exactly what you said. I don't, I don't have it pulled up, but something about the guard play. Like, you weren't happy. Obviously, I wasn't happy. Yep. And 
it's just one of those games where you're just one of those games where you're like, just get through the game. Just find a way. <laughs> because if you win by four or you win by six or you win by eight, it's not going to hurt you in any point of the season. It hurts you if you lose. So it's one of those games where you're like, just win the game. Just figure it out. It doesn't matter. It's not, it doesn't have to be pretty, but obviously they kind of turned it around in that second half. But the guard play was a little up and down. Uh, it, we could, we, could we attest that to Devin Carter and Cody Floyd now playing? 100%. But it, it's still a little bit concerning just how that first half, a little bit of the second half as well, unfolded. Yeah. <laughs> I pulled up our texts uh, Saturday, 1.44 p.m. Point guard play is a serious issue right now. Rich Barron's stock is way up. <laughs> And then Castro fumbled back-to-back entry passes. So it, it, it was that kind of afternoon. Like like I just said, like up, down, up. You know, yeah. there's bad, there's good, there's bad. Um, I, I think uh, you're spot on uh, with the backcourt. Um, you know, without Devin Carter, uh, I think we struggled a little bit. And we're going to get into Garway Dual in a little bit because he pieced together a sneaky good game. Um but all in all, I'd say uh, I was a little disappointed in Jaden Pierre, uh, specifically with taking care of the basketball. Um, that's not to say that he's done a terrible job all season, although the stats, you know, he's averaging more, uh, more turnovers than assists, which isn't great. Keep in mind injury and all that. So it, it, it's a weird way to look at it. Um, but yeah, the, back to the, I'm rambling, back to the original point, the, the backcourt, uh, needs a tune-up, and it needs a tune-up quick, uh, especially before we play Marquette tomorrow. Um, but Rich Barron, man, he was the highlight of the game. And uh, if Saturday's game had one takeaway, it's that he's moving his way up the bench, and he's going to get some serious minutes. Yeah, to go off your Rich Barron point, uh, he's not afraid, right? Like you see, and I'm not trying to attest to where he was ranked, in his recruiting, but he was a low, he was a three-star. He was a kind of a lower three-star, right? Uh, and I'm not saying that always shapes who a player is going to be, but it sometimes does give you an idea where he is at in the beginning of his career, right? Like it just kind of gives you that broad picture. So look, I'm not saying I didn't expect anything from Barron, but 25 minutes in the game, right? 14 points, five for seven shooting, four for six from three. Like that's, He's not afraid, and every time he's played in, he's come into a game, if it's been for the three or four minutes in some games or the 12 to 14 minutes, but or this game, the 25 minutes. Like, he's not afraid of the moment, I want to say. Like, uh, he's just – he comes in, he's aggressive, he plays his game, he doesn't shy away from a shot if it's open. Yep. Uh, he gets into the lane. He's a solid, solid young player, and it's, it's interesting because – if you, if you and I before the year, we didn't do this, but if we did, and we went down the list of players of like we ranked them on scholarship one to whatever of impact players, right? Like that we think that's going to have an impact on this season's on the season. He was probably nine, ten, probably around that number, and he's shooting his way up to six or seven or right or whatever he is. He's just. He comes off the bench, and he's not going to give you 14 every game. It's just not consistent. It's not going to happen because, obviously, ebbs and flows, and I don't know if he's going to play 25 minutes a game, especially with Carter and Floyd back. But to know that you have a guy that is slowly developing into a potentially really good player is is kind of a cool thing to see at the moment. 
Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I actually, I have my notes app on my phone open right now, November 6, 2023 at 9.55 AM. I wrote down Providence starters. I, I don't know what I was doing. Maybe I was, maybe I was texting you or Matt St. Jean or something, but um, I have Rich Barron as possible red shirt in my notes here. Like he is all the way down at the bottom under the walk-ons as red shirts, Justin Fernandez, Rich Barron. So that just show, goes to show like the, uh, the one, the amount of knowledge that we had on him coming into the season, but also the expectations. Um, and he's just, he's earning minutes, right? And power to him for it, right? Like we have talked about backcourt and guard struggles for a lot of this non-conference slate. Um, and he's coming in and he's shooting the lights out and he's providing meaningful minutes and meaningful scoring off the bench. And I love how you said like, he's fearless, right? Like mm-hmm. he's got nothing to lose. He's not a starter. He's a freshman. So if he comes in and has a bad game, he's got three more years to figure it out. So he's playing with house money right now. And I absolutely love it. Um, and I think that as conference play continues and, and starts, uh, he's going to be an important piece for us, especially when guys like, Dual and uh, Corey Floyd haven't provided the scoring punch off the bench that we were hoping for. So Barron, I, I think, has moved his way into the top eight of the rotation. Um, and in doing so, I, I think it's safe to say he's, uh, you know, knocked Rafael Castro down a peg. Um, I know different types of players, but if we're talking about, you know, rotation and minutes, um, I think Barron's going to earn it more than Castro. Yeah, no, no, I agree. And it's just another added spark, another guard forward play. I know he's also says forward, but he's a little bit of an undersized forward. Uh, but if he can give you that kind of, yeah, he's a wing. That's that's a good way to put it. If he can give you that kind of spark, it, it, it only helps you as a team. Yeah, totally. Um, all right, keeping it, it with the, the guard, the wing conversation, I think, um, you know, Garway Dual, I talked about him uh, earlier. I prefaced that uh, – you know, he had a sneaky good game. He didn't have the best scoring night. He was 0 for 4 from the floor. Uh, all of those were three-pointers, but he tallied seven assists and led the team. Only two turnovers, one point, and three steals. Um, he continues to just make really good defensive plays, um, and I think seven assists is outstanding, especially considering, um, you know, the, the struggles that Pierre has had with his assist-to-turnover ratio. Um, seven to two is pretty good. Yeah, look, obviously the offensive numbers, like scoring wise, just weren't there, right? But you seven to two, right? Like the assistant turnovers. And you and I have been very, I don't want to say critical, but we've talked about the struggles that Garway has had offensively, right? Like we see, we've seen a couple games, the flashes when he can break down a defender, getting, get into the lane and finish at the rim. We've seen that, but we've also seen yep. him make a couple dunks. We've seen him, pass up shots. We've seen him not be aggressive, right? The one thing that we have seen and we need to continue to see it is that he doesn't turn the ball over, right? Like he just doesn't turn the ball over. And that is valuable in a team that has a point guard in Jaden Pierre that has struggled with, has dealt with turnover issues. It's, 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 it's obvious. Like we, everyone sees it. Uh, it's not like we're sure we can't sugarcoat it. Jaden Pierre has struggled with turnovers this year. Yep. So when you have Garway, uh, do out, not turn the ball over and get guys involved. It's 
it's it's great. It's one of those guys that you know how and Joe, you know, we put the, the tweet out after the game, right? We put the four notable, four or five potentially notable players, right? I yeah. almost put Garway there, but I was like, it's tough to put Garway there at one point, but he's one of those underlying impact players in the game. And obviously, yeah, the sport is driven by scoring, right? Like that's the college level, it's the NBA level, it's driven by how many points can you score? How many points does this guy average, right? But on a team where you have three or four scores, and I'm not saying we don't want Garway to score, but on a team that you have three or four scores, and if Garway can get them looks and get them easier looks, it creates something for this team. And I do think, I'm not saying we go to Garway full-time at point guard, like starting them. That's not what I'm doing here. But if Jaden Pierre is going to continue to struggle with his turnovers and his assists, it does beg the question of what does he do if you already have Adoro, Carter, and uh, Hopkins on the court, right? Like, you want a point guard that can facilitate the offense, that can get those guys looks, that can get Adoro the touch at the block, that can get Hopkins the look on the wing, the Carter driving to the basket. You want those type of looks. And if Garway can get you those looks, then – you might lean towards Garway in certain certain situations. I, it sounds a little bit crazy, but if he's getting those assists, he's doing his job as a point guard, right? And yep. he also defends the heck out of the basketball. So Garway, I, I don't want to say his stock's up after this game. When you go over four from three, uh, it's tough to say his stock up. He probably should maybe stay away from the threes a little. Maybe let the, let, let, it, let them come to him a little. But yeah. if you're getting your team involved with seven assists, and only turning the ball over twice, like that's his his he's facilitating the offense, and I haven't seen that from Jaden Pierre. Well, what what I really love, and I agree with everything that you said, Peter, is that Kim went to uh, Garway for the start and started the two point guards. Um, and honestly, that's not a look that I would hate to that I would hate to see going forward, right? Like you start Garway at the true one. Pierre as a combo at the two, uh, Carter, Hop, and uh, Oduro, and you have Ticket come off the bench because I don't think it's a coincidence that in the games where Garway and uh, Pierre both play a significant amount at the same time, that Pierre scores more, right? Like Pierre had great numbers. He was four for nine from the field, three of five from deep, 11 points, four rebounds, right? He had he had a he had a good game. He had a good scoring game. Turnovers still an issue, but uh, you know he had a good scoring game. And I think maybe playing off of the ball a little bit helps the shot come. And if that's the sacrifice that he has to make, right? Like he's not the he doesn't have the keys to the car. He's not running the the offense. Dual's doing that, but he's scoring, so he's still providing positive impact. I think that's a lineup that I would get behind if it was to be rolled out night in um, and night out. Uh, not to mention that as it stands right now, Pierre's shooting numbers are better than tickets, right? Pierre's 44% from the field, 44% from deep tickets, 43% from the field and 29% from deep. So it just puts things in perspective here. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're going a little long here. I didn't want to talk about sacred heart this much. Um, do you have any other, uh, thoughts, Peter, before we switch to Marquette? No, I just to make sure. I just want to make sure. We're, obviously, we're not trying to bash Jaden Pierre, but uh, no, it's just it's also good. You have different options, like you just no. uh, noted. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm good on the Sacred Heart uh, Province game. All right, 
Um, so Providence wins this one by 14, 78, 64. We didn't even talk about him, but the Friars were led in scoring by Bryce Hopkins, who tallied a double-double, 26 points, 12 rebounds, uh, two assists. He had a great shooting night, 10 of 16 from the floor, 50% from deep, uh, and he was four or five from the stripe. Uh, he's joined by Rich Barron, who we talked about, who had 14 points. Oduro chipped in with 14 points and nine boards. Pierre had 11, and Ticket had 11. All right, before we get into Marquette and conference play, as always, this podcast is brought to you by House Enterprise and in partnership with House of College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com, to get in on the action. Quick ad read today because I really want to get into Marquette. Peter, it's it's finally that time. We've had this one circled for a while. I can't believe we're already 11 games deep into the season. It feels like yesterday was opening night. Um, you know, this is a, this is a big one, a doozy to, to, to start here. You're hosting the reigning regular season and big East tournament champions who return everybody, including big East player of the year, front runner, Tyler Kolek. What what are your thoughts and, and emotions going into this one? Just right off the bat here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a crazy way to start big East play, right? Like you, obviously there's a ton of great matchups or teams you could play to start Big East play that would solidify a great matchup. But it's it's one of those games, right? It's one of those top 10 teams. I think Marquette's sitting at six right now in the AP poll, right? You you said it right there. They won the Big East tournament last year, right? Like they were the Big East champions uh, at MSG. They are, they're nine and two, the same record as the Friars. Obviously, if we put the, rec- the schedules next to each other, they're a little different. Uh, their two losses <laughs> are to Purdue by three, and then they lost to at Wisconsin. But they have beaten Illinois, UCLA, Kansas, and Texas. Uh, those four wins are looking pretty nice at the moment. Uh, but this is this is a tough one. Like it's it's tough to like put into words, but it's a tough one because it's one of the best teams in the Big East. They have Cam Jones. They have Tower Colick. I don't need to keep naming people. If you watched Marquette, if you watched the Big East, you know how good this team is. And they're going to come at you. Cam Jones and Tower Colick might be one of the best guard duos, guard duos, or maybe they are the best guard duo in the country. Like they're that good of a team and they have that good of scoring. They're really well coached with Shaka Smart, but we have played Marquette really well at home. Mm-hmm. Last year, we beat them in double OT. I think it was 102.98, or yep. right around the same time. 103.98. Ah, dang it. 103.98. I had it from memory, and I didn't pull it up. <laughs> Close. And I think it was right around this time. It was like a December 20th game, I want to say. Something so like I Something like that, I want to say. So I have like, that box sheet open. Um, was it December does, 20th game? Why isn't the date? Oh, so you're right. December 20th, 2022, 7 p.m. It was Providence's... Uh, home opener in the Big East. They had traveled to Seton Hall the weekend prior, but literally, like, almost to a T, same time, same yeah. place. And I think we've played well against Marquette at home, and that's all we're focusing right now because that's what's on the horizon against them over the last couple of years, right? It's one of those type of games where you're going to need your home court advantage. 8.30 start is perfect. I know it's a Tuesday, but people coming out of work at 6 and at 6.30 – or even seven, like they missed the beginning of the game. The whole crowd's not there. I think it's going to be a raucous crowd. You're going to need it. And you're going to need to find a way to slow down Cam Jones and Tyler Kolek. So 
I don't know the status of Devin Carter at the moment on Monday night, but he has to play, right? Like if we go into tomorrow night and Devin Carter's not playing, uh, I don't love our chances. He's going to play. I, and I, 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 I assume, I assume. Yeah. I, I have it's no insight or it, I have no knowledge or, or factual evidence to say that he will play, but you see coaches do this in this sport all the time, right? Like, you end the, the the non-conference slate against a Sacred Heart team that you're supposed to pound. Um, why not give your your most consistent best player a, a breather, especially if he, he is a little dinged up? I'm sure, you know, th- there's what they say, and then there's what people speculate, and then the truth is somewhere in the middle. If I had to guess, you know, he took a, a hard blow or a hard fall at practice, and Kim was like, nope, that's it not risking it, not risking you playing, not risking you getting hurt. We need you for Tuesday. Um, and I'm sure the same thing went for Corey Floyd. So I I, it, I would put money that Devin Carter plays tomorrow. No, no, I agree. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. But yeah, to, I mean, to all the points you made, Peter, the, Providence plays Marquette really well at home. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the last time Providence lost to Marquette at home was in 2018, I think that was also an overtime matchup back in the Steve Wojciechowski era. Um, not that that serves any indication of what's to come tomorrow, but just for reference. Uh, but you know what, what What has also drove me nuts over the past couple of seasons about Providence and Marquette uh, at home is that we always seem to give up like career nights to the Marquette guards at home. You know, Marcus Howard dropped 52, a career high at the dunk. Uh you know, Tyler Kolick obviously put up 29 uh, to match Hopkins last season. So what I would love most out of tomorrow's matchup is for Providence to really try and shut down Tyler Kolick. And that is, I know that Cam Jones is another issue in and of itself, but for me, it starts with the point guard spot because Tyler Kolick is an issue no matter who you ask. Um he doesn't look like, like like his athletic build. He doesn't look like he should be good at basketball, um, but he is filthy. He, he, he is not up for debate, the best guard in the conference, uh, and that says a lot. Villanova fans will get all antsy because they think it's Justin Moore, uh, but it, it is very, very clearly Tyler Kolick. And it, it, Devin Carter playing tomorrow is going to be so important because he's going to be tasked with guarding Tyler Kolick. Yeah, I agree. Look, it's easier said than done for us to sit here and say, oh, we got to slow down Tyler Kolek. But if you go to into a deep dive of their stats and just games they play, they have three guys averaging double figures, right? Cam Jones, Tyler Kolek, and Ose Igodaro. I think I got it. Oso Igodaro? Yeah, Oso Igodaro. Uh, obviously, he's a forward. And then, obviously, they have David Joplin averaging 8.4. But they are led obviously by the big men, so that's Adoro. That's kind of his type of matchup, but they are led by the two guards, right? So we talked about this about like five, ten minutes ago, the point guard play, right? This is a huge point guard game for Pierre and Dual, right? Like it's important for Devin Carter, right? It's important for Hopkins to get his points. It's, it's important for Adoro to dominate down low 100%. But this game is, is going to be won or lost at the guard position and not even the Devin Carter guard position. It's going to be one or lost by the Jaden Pierre and the Garway duel, how they facilitate this offense, how they get their guys looks. And also on the flip side, someone's guarding Tower Kolek or Cam Jones, right? Like 
I want to maybe it's probably t- is it ticket gains guarding Cam Jones? It could be an option. And Devin Carter and Kolak. I would expect Devin Carter to be on either Kolak or Cam Jones. Probably uh Kolak, but I don't think it really matters. They're both really good. Uh and then obviously, but you might have to ask Jaden Pierre to guard one or the other or Garway Dua. Like it's important those guys have a strong game because Marquette, yes. They have a big man that can score. He's averaging 13.7 points per game. But they are wed, and their offense is flown through their two guards. And it's easier said than done. you got to shut them down. I, I get that. But you're going to have to limit them. Make them take tough shots. Take them out of their element. Be physical with them. It's one of those games where if you can win, win the point of attack, which is weird to say in basketball, but the point of attack, guards up the court, high press them, get in their face, uh, make it a living nightmare for both of those guards, yep. and you have a strong chance in this game. Yeah, I, I I agree with everything you said. I think if I was to <laughs> playing coach here, if I was to set the defensive lineup right, just going off of uh, the projected starters for tomorrow, I'd put Carter on Kolek. Yeah, I'd put Ticket on Cam Jones. Yeah, I would take a gamble and put Pierre on Chase Ross because uh, he doesn't score in double figures often, but. I think that's kind of, you know, your toss up there. Well, and then obviously, yeah, uh, obviously, you know, uh, B-Hop on Joplin and then uh, Oduro on Igadaro. And that's actually, that's an underrated matchup. Uh, I want to keep talking about the guards, but uh, the matchup in the paint is going to be really fun tomorrow because Igadaro and Oduro are both technically listed as power forwards, but play the, the center spot. And you see that a lot in college basketball, but I think that is a really intriguing matchup. Both are, are, you know, very good at what they do offensively. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see them trade blows down, down in the paint. Yeah. It's, I want to say one of Adoro's toughest matchups he's going to face. Um, Maybe just even in Big East, but obviously this uh, Kalk Runner and obviously this Klingon and those type of players that are right up there and probably even better. But it's one of those physical games because of how good those guards play. If you get beat down low and you struggle down low as a as Providence, it's going to be a long night, right? Like, yeah, you you cannot get dominated. Adoro has to win the matchup. I'm not saying he's going to shut out or completely dominate uh, Igodaro, but I'm going to say like Adoro has to come out. When you and I are breaking the game down Thursday, uh, Thursday night into Friday, you and I have to talk about Adoro dominating his matchup, right? Like this is one of the games, or this is the reason you brought Josh Adoro to Providence, Rhode Island. Like this is why you brought him for these type of games where if you can take this side of their offense out of the game, right? Like they're Marquette's, and this is with the guards as well. They're they're eighth in the country in two point field goal percentage, right? They're one of the best teams at inside the three point line. So you have to somehow take away some element of that game. Is it the drives of Tower Kolek and Cam Jones, or is it the down low play from Igodaro? It's one or the other, but you're going to have to find a way to kind of limit if you're Adoro, kind of his touches, how he make, make it a living nightmare for him. The problem is, Foul trouble, right? Like if we get in foul trouble, if Adoro gets in foul trouble, that's when we become very vulnerable because, and no knock on Rafael Castro, we lose that matchup when Rafael Castro comes onto the court. That's a problem. Who guards Igodaro if Adoro gets in foul trouble? Like he has to play physical and has to play tough, but he also has to play smart because he has to know in the back of his head, I have to be on the court at 
and 30 minutes of this game. Like that's where he has to be on the court because if not, then we become very vulnerable uh, down well. Yeah, I agree. That's not a knock on Castro at all. That's just uh, an objective observation. I mean, he is, uh, he hustles and, uh, from what it seems like that kid works his ass off in the practice gym and in the, in the weight room. But, um, for what one reason or another, it doesn't seem to be translating on the court. So it, it's tough because you, you root for the kid to, to do well, but, um, no, that's not a knock. That's just an objective observation over the past couple games. Um, but I agree. Uh, Oduro has to, you know, he has to stay clean as it relates to foul trouble. Um, but also he needs to maintain his physicality because I think he wins the physicality matchup against Iguodaro. Um, so we talked about the backcourt. We talked about the front court, um, keeping it down low, but a, I guess a notch up in the front court. I think the key to this game for Providence is Bryce Hopkins. Um, he's someone that we haven't necessarily talked about a lot today, um, but just scrolling through the box score from, Last year's matchup, uh, the December 20th double OT mm-hmm. win at home, Hopkins had 29 points and 23 rebounds in 47 minutes of playing time, eight for 14 from the floor, and took only two three pointers. When Providence visited Marquette later the season, he put up another double double 19 points, 10 rebounds, nine of 16 from the floor, and 0 for two from deep. So it is very clear that Marquette. And I, this is safe to say because it's the same damn roster. Marquette cannot guard him. And so far this season, we've seen Hopkins struggle against quality opponents. Uh, he's really dominated against the inferior guys. And that's what you're supposed to do when you're playing the, the sacred hearts of the world. But uh, it would be nice for him to bounce back against a power conference opponent. I mean, hell, a Big East opponent that's ranked uh, sixth in the country and, and really just dominate. You know, Bryce Hopkins of old, driving to the cup, getting fouled, getting free throws, making free throws, uh, you know, opening up space. Uh, th- this is the this is the perfect opportunity for him to get back into form. And I think that the way that Bryce Hopkins plays tomorrow is going to dictate uh, how the game goes and really set the tone for the Friars offensively. And this is also going to be one of the games, Joe, where we have to try our best. And this sounds stupid because, of course, they're trying their best not to do this. But avoid the offensive lulls, right? Because I love our defense, right? And I think our defense is our strong point of this year's team. And they're going to win us some games. Absolutely. But when you play a team at the level of offensive ability that Marquette is, right, your defense kind of gets thrown out the window just a bit because – how, how how good Marquette is offensively? They average eighty points a game, right? Like they're gonna they they're gonna score, and it's gonna be tough to defend for forty minutes. But obviously, your defense can do its thing; it can disrupt the game. I'm not saying the defense will be a factor tomorrow. I'm just saying in this type of game, you are gonna have to avoid. You're going to have to avoid those three to five minute offensive walls that you we have seen, and we saw it under Cooley. And we've seen it a couple times under Kim English, right? You have to avoid that because my biggest fear is you go on that three to four minute wall where you don't really score, you don't really do much offensively, and you all of a sudden look at the, the scoreboard and you're down eight, right? Just like yep. that. And you're like, Oklahoma. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. You you have because eventually the other team is going to score, right? Like it's just 
part of basketball. You can be as good as defensively as you possibly can be, and they're still going to score, and especially Marquette. They're one of the best offensive teams in the country. They have two of the best guards in the country. They're going to score. It's just going to happen. So you yep. have to – I'm not saying you have to match everything, but you have to find a way to avoid those three- to five-minute stretches that you don't score. Because if you do that, you are probably going to look up at the scoreboard. I know, Joe, you're going to be at the game. So you're going to look at the scoreboard, and I'm going to be watching this on TV, and we're going to be like, oh, crap, we're down eight, and that's a problem. And you just have to somehow avoid that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And this is where um, last year's Providence team really relied on like Jared Bynum to make a play late, right? In this specific game, Marquette would go up eight or nine in the second half and Providence would chip away. Um, so far, we haven't really seen guys do that this season where, you know, the you're down eight or not. You're down a couple of possessions and you need a quick bucket. We need somebody to start taking over and doing that. Carter has shown glimpses, uh, you know, and that's really it. Carter has shown glimpses. That's all. That's all I can yeah. say about that. Um, but yeah, you're right. I I, I think it's going to start on the defensive end tomorrow. Um, and, and you're right. We don't need to match everything that Marquette does. We just need to edge them defensively. We need to be better on defense than they are on offense. And, and that's really it, right? Like the offense will will ebb and flow. But if we can limit Marquette's opportunities and really stifle them defensively, we're going to put ourselves in a position to win. Yeah, it's one of those type of games, right? Like, and it's the fun about Big East play. It's it's a, it's the best team in the Big East. Uh, UConn exists. One of the best teams in the Big East at the moment. <laughs> you can argue Marquette. You can argue UConn. I don't care. It doesn't really matter. We'll find out in a couple weeks because Big East play tells you a lot about how good your team is and where you are at in the season because it hits you in the mouth really fast. And yeah. you get because right away after Marquette, the Friars have Butler and Butler's nine and two. Like it just it's just keeps piling on. So you have to find a way to obviously win games. You win on Tuesday, Joe, right? Or tomorrow or tonight if you're listening Tuesday morning which is when everyone's listening. It just it I think it has an effect on this year. I'm not saying a loss doesn't have like a negative effect because you lose to Marquette six in the country. You and I on Thursday are not going to be like this season's over. We're not, we're not, we're not doing that. No, nope. no score. Unless it's 80 to nothing is going to tell us that we're going to freak out on Thursday night, but a win against Marquette one, obviously you win a big East game. Massive. You start one and oh, always you want to stack those wins. Obviously you want to get a good conference record built towards the NCAA tournament and the big East tournament, but you also have a momentum, right? You, you beat the sixth team in the country. People start talking about you a little more and now you went from a team that was nine and two that we think is good, that we think is pretty good, to a team that is good, that we know they're good, and it just it has a, a major effect on where the season is. More importantly, where the, if you win than if you lose. I totally agree. Um, not to mention, this Friars team has shown that it is capable of competing with top level opponents. Right yeah. for three quarters of that Oklahoma game, Providence was in it. It was really the final eight or so minutes where Oklahoma pulled away. Providence pounded Wisconsin at home. I know the final score uh, was decided by 13, but Providence was up by as many as 27, 29 in that one. Providence went, you know, punch for punch with uh, Kansas State without Jaden Pierre, who was playing really well at the time, and with Garway Dual going out in the second half. So uh, this is a team that can compete with the big dogs. Um, the the Oklahoma loss is aging tremendously, just like you and I had predicted. They're a top 10 team. 
the Wisconsin win is aging tremendously. They are a top 25 team. And the Kansas State loss is aging pretty good. I mean, they continue to edge out wins. Um, they're, you know, not, not, nothing nationally for Kansas State, but they're, they're a quality team. Mm-hmm. This is when it starts. This is in your house, in your conference, and in the top 10. So it, 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 opportunity is on a silver platter right now. And Kim and the Friars got to take it by the horns tomorrow because this is a big one. Like you said, if we lose, Marquette is a top, really, Marquette's like a top five team in the country right now, but they'll yeah. flip flop with UConn. Marquette's a top team in the country that has gone to the wire with Purdue, who is the best college basketball team in the country. Um, if Providence puts up a good fight and loses, uh, I mean, I'm sure I'm going to be pissed, but it's a pill I can swallow. Yeah. Um, if we win, everything you said stands true. Momentum, uh, you know, quality resume win, yeah. name on the map nationally, all of those things uh, ring true. Uh, but we'll find out tomorrow. I'll be there. You'll be watching. I'm excited as hell. Yeah, and one final thing I want to say for all you people that like to bet right now, Marquette <clears throat> is at minus four and a half uh, right now. Just putting that out there. I was doing a little a quick research while you were just talking. Marquette against a spread as a favorite. They're three and five on the year. Uh, so just something you want to know. Joe and I are not telling you to go gamble. We're just telling you information that is public to everyone. But yeah, they're three and five against the spread as a favorite uh, Marquette. And they're five, five and one overall against the spread. And Friars are one and one as an underdog this year against the spread. Ooh. So four and a half right now. Um, obviously, money line is exactly what the record is. But yeah, so just something to note heading into Tuesday. The spread started at three and a half. Moved up to four and a half. 67 on this on the action website. 67% of the bets right now are on Marquette at the moment. So just, right. something, just something. That's why the spread went up to, from three and a half to four and a half, obviously. Uh, so just something to note if you are looking to do anything with this game. But right now the fires Monday at 5.52. Obviously we listen Tuesday morning, so the spread could, line could change a little. They are plus they're four and a half point dogs at the moment. I like those odds. I'll take that. I'll take plus four and a half. I, yeah, I, I would definitely I'll take that. I would definitely think about taking that. I think that's a I think that's this is the type of the game where it comes down to the final two or three possessions. I really do. I I just, I just think it's it, it, I, I know Marquette's really good, but I do think coming into a hostile environment it's not easy, right? Like it's not it's never easy to do. So that's why the fires have to kind of muck it up a little. You have to play a little uh different kind of style of basketball. And the Friars are pretty good. I don't, I don't want to bring up Cooley, but the Friars are pretty good under with Cooley with that, kind of mucking it up a little, making it a little, making it a longer game than most teams are used to. And Marquette being, I would say, the superior offensive team, you want to make it a physical, low-scoring, grinded-out game, and then you never know what happens. Oh, now you're speaking my language, Peter. You want to, you want to, you want a low-scoring, grinded-out game. I think that favors the Friars way more than it does Marquette. Especially in that building. Yes. Forget about it. Yes, I agree. Possession by possession, less than than five minutes left. Trade and blows. That building is going to be bonkers. I can't wait. Fanta and Donnie Marshall are on the call. Mm -hmm. 
take a shot every time Donnie Marshall brings up UConn and you'll die from alcohol poisoning. <laughs> I'm, I'm not even joking. I know. I'll, I'll, I'll look, I haven't really listened to that, so I'll listen to that for tomorrow. I'll, you know what? I'll keep a tally. I'll keep a little notebook tally to see how many times he just mentions the word UConn. Is that what I got to do? Yep. So, any, that's the word UConn. Anytime the word UConn comes out of Donnie Marshall's mouth, take a shot. If die. you don't drink, take a tally. It, do something to track it because it is ridiculous. I'm I, it. It, the, the, the man cannot talk about Big East basketball or college basketball in general without bringing up that he went to UConn or that UConn is in the Big East or that Dan Hurley. He will bring up something about UConn. I no, he's going to bring up Dan Hurley's playing when he, when he coached at URI, playing in the rivalry against Providence. He'll bring that up. Yeah. Segue bring into it. All right. We're rambling here. Anything else, Peter? Uh yeah. Look, Fires winning at a non-con play, Joe, with no blunder on their resume, which is always a good sign. Nine yep. and two. Now the fun starts. Now the gauntlet of Big East play begins with a crazy matchup against Marquette, a top right now six, but a top five, seven team in the nation. And we will see where the Friars are at at this moment of the season and towards the end of December, towards Christmas. We'll see where the Friars kind of stand against, I guess, the upper echelon of the country and the Big East. All right. Well, you heard it here first. Friars and Marquette both come into this one at 9-2. and two. Marquette is ranked sixth in the nation as per this morning's AP Top 25 poll. That game is tomorrow, December 19th at 8.30 p.m. If you're not going to be in the building like I am, you can watch on Fox Sports 1. Fanta and Marshall are on the call. For Peter DiBiase, this is Joe Howie. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Friars. Go Friars.